Hello and welcome back to Thronderdome Season 2 Dark Force Rising by that luminary of the literary uh, leitmotifs. That was some stupid alliteration. What do leitmotifs have to do with anything? Anytime I talk about Timothy Zahn, I just get all flustered just thinking about him. Uh, but you are listening to Thronderdome. I am your host, uh, Dr. Daniel Doughty. I am joined, as always, by my intrepid co-host, Ronnie Gardaki. Uh, Ronnie, how, how are you feeling tonight? I'm feeling okay. I got a, I got a new uh, Blu-ray of Frozen Planet 2, so that's going to be pretty cool to watch well uh, on drugs. <laughs> cool. Uh, that's... I wasn't expecting the on drugs stinger. It is interesting, though, how much fun things can can be to watch while on drugs. Not that I would encourage any of our listeners to do illegal drugs. Find the legal drugs for your area, take them, and then watch something fun. Like yeah, you know, I didn't uh, say illegal drugs. I said on drugs. Yeah, on drugs. Exactly. You can watch Frozen Planet Two. You can watch Forbidden Planet. You can watch Fantastic Planet. You can watch uh, Planet of the Planet Apes. Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we're not talking about those planets, no. We're talking about different planets tonight, because we are talking about uh, the second volume in Timothy Zahn's masterful Thrawn trilogy, Dark Force Rising. It's our second recap episode, so we're starting to get into the meat of it. We're, we're, about, we're, we're about 10, what, 10, 15% to the way in? So, so things are starting to, to heat up a little bit. Um, as uh, all of our moving pieces start moving again. Uh, so enough, 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 uh, fluffernuttering around. Again, fluffernutters, that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Uh, it's just time to, I just need to, we just need to get into it. We just need to start recapping these amazing Star Wars stories, or otherwise I'm just going to lose my damn mind. Um, I, I we, got a lot to say about chapter four. I, chapter four. <laughs> Four has a lot of meat on the bone. Chapter five also, I mean, really, and who could forget chapter six? Well, this is really going to be a, a fun episode. So I guess, yeah, since you have a lot to say, Ronnie, I'll go ahead and quit beating around the bush. There's a there's a cliche I was looking for. And uh, we'll start with chapter four. And we open chapter four with Luke uh, in the greatest place in the entire galaxy, the library. That's right. He is looking through old microfiche at the library. Uh, trying to look up information about Joris Kabaoth. That's Joris with one U. Um, so he, I'm kidding. He's not looking at microfiche. That doesn't exist in the Star Wars universe. He's looking at a computer screen. <laughs> so um, he's trying to get more information on Joris Kabaoth, who apparently was born in the year 112 pre-Empire, which is their, their dating system here. Uh, he, I have a problem with that. Uh, instantly, yes. <laughs> Please expand on that, Ronnie. Well, see, because they're going backwards from uh, the Empire starting. So, like, he's born in uh, 112, and he starts going to college in 95 to 90. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why would would the previous uh, numbering system count down? I understand the idea of empire, the Empire doing a Cambodian year zero thing. Yeah. Well, why would it count down from the zero outward? Well, that's how uh, that's how BC works. Yeah, but in, it's stupid. In, in our galaxy. 
Yeah, I mean it's stupid. Don't get me wrong, but that's <laughs> I think that's the I think that's the direct uh, what he's directly pulling from. I, I think it's interesting. Like instantly, but also this is like twenty years ago, right? Like, would you not? Yeah, it says actually. Let's read from the very first paragraph. Is here. Uh, Luke is similarly confused. What it was it about new regimes? He wondered that one of their first official acts always seemed to be the creation of a new dating system, which meant they went and applied to all existing historical records. The Galactic Empire had done that, as had the Old Republic before it. Now, one, uh, this might be a case of Zahn, like, the, 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 the backstory not having quite gelled by at the time Zahn was writing. But, like, the Old Republic is supposed to be, like, 10,000 years old. <laughs> so, like, even if they had changed the dating system, I don't think it's all that pertinent. Uh but yeah, like he says here, he can only hope that the New Republic wouldn't follow suit. So even though your political project is aimed at abolishing the Empire and erasing its crimes from the history of the galaxy, you're just going to stick with their with their dating system, I guess. Making all the stormtroopers who wear glasses work in the rice paddies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's the new. It's the new dawn. Uh, oh boy, I do love the straight line. History was hard enough to keep track of it as it was. Tell me about it's it. It's just Luke. a perfect like Luke dumb guy thought. <laughs> it's, you can imagine him back on Tatooine struggling through his Tatooine history lessons. Uh, he just didn't get it. He just wanted to go. I have to learn about all this Tuscan Raider shit. <laughs> I'm never going to use that. I'll at go Tashi, to the Tashi yeah. Station. I'm not going to use that in Imperial Starfighter Academy. Um. But uh, so anyway, so a little bit, but a little bit about George Kabeoff that we learned from the old Republic Senate Library computer here uh, is that he, yeah, he attended university, which is very funny to think about going to college in Star Wars, and then went to a Jedi training center. After four years in '88 pre-Empire, he was granted the title of Jedi Knight, and then eight years later, he assumed the title of Jedi Master, which. Uh, Luke was confused about because he figured that must have been something granted by the the Jedi Guild or whatever. And then Luke gets some career highlights. So we know that Kabaoth was an advisor to Senator Palpatine for a couple of years in the 70s pre-Empire, which would seem to indicate that Palpatine was like 100 years old during Phantom Menace. I like how the dating system suggests that months can be longer than 31 days. But there's still only twelve months. <laughs> it is because you've of... got dates like like four thirty two ninety. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, it's a little odd. Um, I also think... want to point out that he was born on the planet Bortrus, which heavily suggests that uh, Timothy Zahn knows someone named Bort. To whom he's making a reference. <laughs> that's one of the. That's one of his friends who uh, plays bagpipes at the conventions. There's, there's Bort. <laughs> he might have been one of the people he talked to at the Sizzler. I think we can make that canon. Um, oh, you know what? But he likes to mix it around, though. So maybe he has a friend named Torb. I do like how how Luke has a big problem with uh, with Kabeath, uh Giving himself the title of Jedi Master. Yeah, he has a real, he has a real bean in his bonnet about that. I mean, I guess because you know he's the only Jedi, so he doesn't know how anything works, and no one told him how anything works. So you know, I guess I'd be a little frustrated about that too. Uh, 
but he uh, we get a little a little more career highlights from Joris Gabayoth. He was part of the Jedi Force assembled to oppose the Dark Jedi insurrection on Bifash in seventy seven pre Empire. Uh, yeah, he also clerked for uh, Emperor Palp- uh, Emperor Palpatine when he was a senator. Yeah, he clerked for Palpatine. He was assisted in resolving the Alderaan ascendancy contention. Uh, he did some other mediation and conflicts, and then he highly instrumental in convincing Senate to authorize and fund Outbound Flight Project, one of six Jedi Masters attached to the project, and that's where the trail goes cold. Uh, I know we're making fun about a lot of this, but I actually do enjoy this part of the book because I I like the idea of like there being a file of what Jedi's do and you know what their stats are. Yeah, do you think Luca's like gone and looked up the Yoda stats? Yo he does he does bring up Yoda and how he has never been able to find out what race Yoda is. <laughs> Which is really like this is not good record keeping. I as 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 a, as a professional librarian and someone who has. So if took, you look up Yoda, does it just say unknown? I guess so. Yeah, or unavailable. That seems to be the the term the computer likes. Uh, just I just do want to say I, I I'm taking some professional. What if umbrage. it's classified? I'm taking some professional what umbrage. His, at what this. if his race is classified? Well, I don't. Yeah, we don't know. We don't. He just said he couldn't find out. So you know, we'll 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 see what that is. But they really need to tighten up on their information. Uh, integrity in this system this is just really distressing um but as he's he's uh, looking into this uh winter barges in on him winter's back hi winter um to let him know that leia wants to see him in her office and uh, then she kind of like looks over his shoulder and like oh doing some jedi research huh and uh so he copies all those files onto a, a usb while winter is uh Winter is sort of reminded, like, oh, he's copying the record of uh, Jedi Master Joris Kabeoth. And Winter's like, oh, Joris Kabeoth, wasn't he involved in the big ascendancy flap on Alderaan? So Luke kind of asks her what that's all about. And uh, and she says, I don't know anything about it more than any other Alderaanian. Uh, but they're, you know, apparently Joris Kabeoth was part of this uh, council of Jedis who mediated a succession crisis on Alderaan, which put... Bail Organa's father on the throne. So, Joris Kabeoth is one of the reasons why Leia is a princess. So, there's an interesting connection. There. I like when, when Luke asked if Winter has seen any photos of Kabeoth. Yes. Answers, <laughs> she saw a group photo of, like, like, you know, hey, we mediated successfully, you know, party photo. And it's like, Kabeoth is, you know, he looked like an average guy. It's kind of muscular, which was strange because he's a Jedi. And I'm thinking, yeah. like, so are there no, like, beefcake Jedis? <laughs> and I looked at, like, like uh, she says, like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean for that to sound derogatory. And Luke assured her it was no problem because it was a common misconception that everyone assumed that once you become a master of the Force, you're a little shrimpy beanpole. But apparently there is some uh, somatic aspect to it. Luke assures us he's actually built. <laughs> so... Yeah, it and took I, himself several years to truly appreciate the subtle ways in which control of the body was linked to the control of the mind. Yes. And that just yes. sounds like he he learned to jack off. <laughs> well, it sounds like he's been watching some uh, Rich Piana videos. <laughs> but, and it was just, you know, any of those lifting gurus. I guess Rich Piana's dead now, so we can't really point to him. 
but uh, his videos live on. His videos do live on, and they have so much to teach us. Um, so one thing that I thought was funny, if you, if uh, everyone recalls from the uh, "Oops, all author notes" episode that we did, uh, Timothy Zahn did originally intend the Kabeoth character to be a clone of Obi Wan Kenobi. So, uh, and, and Zom was really, it was really hard for him to let that go, which makes this next part very funny. Uh, Luke's trying to, you know, talk about this photo that she's seen, you know, what else do you remember? He had graying hair and a short, neatly trimmed beard, Winter said. He was wearing the same brown robe and white under tunic that a lot of Jedi seemed to favor. She's just describing Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Other than that, there wasn't anything particularly notable about him. Yeah. So it wasn't like he had a giant snake tattoo on his face. Yeah, he didn't have a giant snake tattoo. He didn't have uh, like gauges, really big gauges in his ears. You know, he he wasn't he wasn't a squid man, like so many Jedi's are. Uh, but I thought that was that was very funny to just describe Alec Guinness circa nineteen seventy six. So then they so then they start discussing like Luke Luke is basically grilling Winter about all this shit and. It's like asking her uh, if she knows about the planet Fortress and how long they're supposed to live there. Yeah, it was real, and not only that, like he he starts. I gotta find it because it's all worded so weirdly. Um, okay, we got Fortress. Do 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 do. Do you think uh, George Kabayoff is still alive? This also uh, establishes that humans have the same lifespan. Uh, that they do in, I guess, real life. Yeah, yeah, it's right. Proposing, which again, yeah, we're like we're dealing with. Well, for one, he's not like Emperor Palpatine, right? If he was in the yeah. Senate in seventy pre Empire, and you just killed him five years ago, you know, clearly people. I can guess live they're going to go with the the route of like he kept himself alive via the Force or something, which means any Jedi can do it. Yeah, like that's yeah. Uh. I, I, I do like He does that. note that Yoda's over 900 years old, but uh, I I think it'd be funnier if he's like, well, Yoda also lied to me a bunch, so he could have <laughs> just been lying about that. He, he could have been 39. I mean, who knows? I'm, th- I'm 39 and hunched over and bald. <laughs> yeah, you look basically like Yoda. <laughs> I do. I have a very Yoda uh, effect about myself. Um, I, I, thought- I also like the, the line... Uh, Smaller species usually had shorter lifespans than larger ones. There, hey, which, and there's a little, you know, there's a little zoology for you there. That's that's true. Uh, but usually didn't mean always. That is. And it's that like is what? Are, what the true. fuck are you, Ranger Rick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very. Uh, it's odd. Their whole exchange is really. It's very strange. Like Luke is really like pumping winter for information to, to that also seems like she wouldn't really have access to. Cause he's like asking her, they're kind of talking about George Cabell's like personality. And he, he's, you know, he's talking here like, well, I don't know if you knew it, but he apparently promoted himself from Jedi Knight to Jedi master. Seems like kind of a conceited thing to do. And then winter concurs and says that it seems to me, I guess from my Alderaan history lessons, it seems to me he was the kind of person who likes the spotlight and that wouldn't have wanted to stay out of the war against the Empire. Like, how do you how do you know that? <laughs> how do you know any of this? And it gets even worse because then 
you know, they're 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 talking, and Luke is like, hey, I like how subject. this is basically Luke having to deal with a not particularly helpful NPC. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, he just but, needs to ask the right question. But she is surprisingly helpful here, and this just I, this was just so funny to me. So then, you know, they're talking about Kabeoth, and then Luke says, "New subject." Then, what do you know about this outbound flight project the Old Republic put together? Number one, that's not a new subject. You're asking about it because of George Kabeoth. Number two. Why, as she says, not much, she said, frowning with concentration. It was supposedly an attempt to search for life outside of the galaxy proper, but the whole thing was so buried in secrecy, they never released any details. I'm not even sure whether or not it was ever launched. If it's a secret project that's so secret that you're not sure whether it even happened or not, why do you know anything about it? Why does anyone know anything about it? Well, Princess Leia likes to talk when she gets a... Uh, peach snops in her. <laughs> she she calls it her uh, her uh, neonatal. She calls it her prenatal vitamins when she gets little schnapps in her. Um, yeah, and then looks at the records. Say it was. They say that Kapaoth was attached to the project. Does that mean he would have been on board? Winter said, "I don't know." <laughs> it's like thanks. Yeah, like I don't I don't know. Why are you asking me? It's just a really funny like. The idea of inserting, like, Zahn is using Winter as, like, the the person to, like, give some exposition or whatever about what's common knowledge about this amazing secret project from 70 years ago or whatever the hell. And, uh, or I guess, like, you know, 40 years ago by this point <clears throat> or something. And just the, 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 I was just gobsmacked. Like, a project that was super secret and no one's sure whether it actually launched or not. How would anyone ever know anything about that it's it's really funny but luke resolves after all the, all of this is to kind of set up that luke is resolved to go to joe mark to try to find out like what what he really felt because you know he had that brief contact with the jedi master so he's like all right and there's you know winter shrug says i suppose there's only one way to find out yeah luke you know uh, says go to joe mark and ask him i guess i'll have to but then they get to leia's office uh, where... uh before you before you get to that i just want to oh, yeah. note the uh Chahala tree. Yeah, this is actually kind of a neat detail. Yeah, if you want to, would you like to read the passage? Yeah. Uh, reaching out to slide a fingertip across the slender t- tree trunk as they walked, the subtle turmoil exploded at its touch into a flash of angry red across the quiet purple, the color shooting out around the trunk like ripples in a cylindrical pond, circling again and again as it flowed up and down the trunk before finally fading to burgundy and then back to purple again. Now, if I was on drugs, I would really like that. <laughs> All right, if you're on nice legal drugs, <laughs> that would be exactly the kind of thing you want in your apartment. Yeah, I thought that was fun. Like, it's, anytime there's a little touch of, like, you know, alien foliage, I guess. And hey, I, look, I, I like it's that. Timothy Zahn describing something. He's describing something. <laughs> My God, it's like it's like water in a desert. Oh, it's wonderful. That'll keep, that'll keep us sustained for chapters. Until we get to the next time something is described. Um, that, that, thank you. Yes, that was a very good detail to uh, to point out and, and concentrate on a little bit. Um, so they make it to uh, Leia's office where uh, C-3PO is being the... the uh, I guess he's working as the receptionist. Um, and they still, they still manage to be a little bit 
uh, insulting. Or Zom manages to be a little bit insulting about C-3PO. They have a little exchange. Princess Leia and the others are expecting you. Please go But the in. book also says that C-3PO has a certain inherent dignity about him, which I don't <laughs> think is true. <laughs> yeah, it says, no matter how ridiculous 3PO might look in any given situation, there was always a certain inherent dignity about him. A dignity that Luke usually tried to respond to in kind. So yeah, he looks ridiculous, but he's dignified. I, I don't know. I don't know. So they go. I don't know. The, the Ewoks thought he was a god, so they did. And the Ewoks seem pretty on the ball. Um, they walk in. It's uh, Leia, Han, and Chewie. They're all kind of rhubarbing with each other, and then they uh, they spend a bunch of pages kind of recapping that council grilling scene, which I don't really care to get into. Um, but Luke kind of interrupts their speculation about the various political maneuverings. Uh, but he's kind of wondering about uh, Phalia's, uh you know, they're all talking about Phalia's imperial connections. And uh, he jumps in, and this is a really weird exchange. Luke cleared his throat. If I can say something? They looked at him, the tension in the room fading a little. Sure, lad. What is it? Han said. Lad? <laughs> he says kid. He calls Luke Kid. Yeah, see, what? in the book, the version I have, it says kid. No way. Really? Yeah. Wow. It says sure kid. What is it? Yeah. Do I have a British version of the ebook? I don't would they know. Make that, would they make that change for the British version? That's amazing. We'll have to read further and see if there's weird transphobia in it. <laughs> We'll have to read further and see if there's like mentions about how uh, what what a, what an incredible slap in the face it is for a U.S. president not to attend a coronation. <laughs> we'll have to find out if Chin's first name is Cho. That's right. We'll have to find out if there's uh, there was a dark Jedi named Jimmy Savile, and we'll see if it's the the British version. J.K. Rowling, folks, hey, don't be like her. Don't be don't be like J.K. If you're gonna be like a J.K. You know, you gotta be like J.K. Simmons, a ripped old man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but dude, he would be a great Joris Kabeoth. He would be a good Joris Kabeoth. That is great casting. I will call his people. I'll have my people call his people. Um, but uh, they talk a little more about failure. You know, Luke is like, yeah, he's up to something, but we don't know what it is. Um, he kind of they they kind of talk about how he and his Bothan crew had. A few businesses, a few legitimate businesses around the galaxy here and there before joining the war. And they kind of dig into whether they contributed to any military activities, you know, other than the spying, which was, hey, you know, that was a big, that was a big uh, uh, contribution. But apparently the only time any of the Bothans really got into a scrap with the Imperials with like spaceship fights was there was a, they threw down at a planet called New Cove which didn't have anything to do with any of Phalia's businesses at all. And Han thinks that's suspicious. Like, that's the one time they chose to actually go to the mat. There must be something there. So Han wants to run down that lead. Um, And once again, I thought this was pretty funny. Like, they're all talking. Han has just gotten back to see his very pregnant wife, and he is already ready to leave and say, okay, well, I'm going to New Cove (laughs) to follow up this lead. Just abandoning her all over again. I just like how this book has suddenly become the French connection. <laughs> yeah, they're talking about, uh, well, yeah, we get like in the next chapter with, uh, with or a couple chapters on with Thrawn, we'll get some more, we'll get some more inside dope on what's going on with that money transfer. Um, but anyway, Han is ready to leave his pregnant wife once again. Um, but this is her opportunity to tell him 
or rather let Chewie tell him about the little deal she happened to make with the little Dobbies. Uh, and Han is of course furious. Uh, and, uh, Luke kind of takes the opportunity to slip away, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, so he's now like, here we are. Now here we are actually getting like them, uh, or rather Zahn recapping stuff from the first book. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. Cause, cause I, I don't remember what the Nogri do or are, or <laughs> they just completely, I didn't slipped. care the first time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they kind of recap the. I, I guess we should I let the list remind the listeners that the deal that she made after that one Nogri had like a, a fit about smelling her and realized that she smelled like Darth Vader. Uh, she made the deal to meet with him in a month's time to kind of more thoroughly hash out like what's going on, so that the Nogri can decide what they want to do with her since she is the heir of Darth Vader, their lord. Um, so. That she had promised Han's to him. reaction is pretty good. Uh, he says, what is this, some kind of crazy Jedi thing? <laughs> right. <laughs> which which is really something just, I feel like he'd be saying a lot. Yeah, I was about to say, that's something he brings up a lot. It's like, he just assumes yeah. like most uh, uh, effects of pregnancy are just Jedi crap. It's just <laughs> crazy Jedi things. Um and I, okay, so uh, so coming back to Ladgate, uh, the the part where Luke slips away, he says, "Excuse me, Luke interrupted, standing up. I have to go check out my X-wing. I'll see you both later." And sure, kid, Han growled, not looking at him. So my text says, "Kid," after it said, "Lad." What a weird, ah, weird. Okay, uh, but anyway, I guess to get back to it. Uh, Luke slips away awkwardly. Han and Leia kind of hash it out. Um, Han decides to give Leia, Chewie, and 3PO the Millennium Falcon to make their trip. Because, you know, she was going to go alone, but she only promised to, you know, she was going to meet the Nogri alone. She's still going to need a pilot to to fly her there. So Chewie's going along. 3PO is going to go for uh, translating purposes. And he'll take, he and and and, uh, Lando will take the Lady Luck to New Cove to run down the lead over there uh so i i do think it's noteworthy that han solo actually asks about the twins yes he actually remembers that you know she's pregnant with twins uh he had the guilty satisfaction of seeing her wince guilty (laughs) satisfaction (laughs) guilty satisfaction really really scored points off the old wife there you're like, well, I, I feel a sense of guilty satisfaction anytime I score points on my wife, which is not often, because she's very clever and smarter than me. Uh, well, it's not hard. That's yeah, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a high bar to clear. So, anyways, that's that's the lunchbox guys. That's what uh, that's what they've been up to. Uh, but now we'll say it's chapter five, and it's time to catch up with uh, Mara and Talon Card, and. We're going to talk about what might be the stupidest thing in this section of the book. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, but we're catching up with everyone's favorite, Talon Card. Uh, he, and, he and Mara are, uh, are having a chat. They're there on Rishi. They're setting up their new headquarters in a, a mirror-windowed building in a crowded town. Because uh, on this planet, it's dominated by very high mountain crags. Uh, that in between, there are kind of swampy lowland valleys where all the people who aren't the native bird people have to build their little towns. Um, 
so it's a crowded you know town in this uh this this swampy valley bottom between mountain ranges and uh but they're they're getting all set up and mara asks hey what about those uh what about those capital ships that uh card mentioned um you know what? What is tell me? Tell me about the ships. You know, because he promised like to to fill her in later. It was like, oh, you promising me details later? This is later. And I feel like we have to. I, I don't like doing this, but I do feel like we're going to have to do like a a block quote to really dig into what's going on here. So, Ronnie, if you'll if you'll permit me, um, here we go. Uh, have you ever heard of the Katana Fleet? You know, card asked her. She had to search her memory. That was the group also called the Dark Force, wasn't it? Something like 200 Dreadnought-class heavy cruisers that were lost about 10 years before the Clone Wars broke out. All the ships were fitted with some kind of new-style full-rig slave circuitry, and when the system malfunctioned, the whole fleet jumped to light speed together and disappeared. Nearly right, Card said. The dreadnoughts of that era, in particular, were ridiculously crew-intensive ships, requiring upwards of 16,000 men each. The full rig slave circuitry on the Katana ships cut that complement down to around 2,000. Mara thought about the handful of Dreadnought cruisers she'd known. Must have been an expensive conversion. It was, Card noted. Card nodded, particularly since they played it as, a, as much for public relations as they did for pure military purposes. They redesigned the entire Dreadnought interior for the occasion, from the equipment and interior decor right down to the dark gray hull surfacing. That last was the origin of the nickname Dark Force. Incidentally, though there was some suggestion that it referred to the smaller number of interior lights on a 2,000 crewer ship, uh, the, the smaller number of interior lights that a 2,000 crew ship would need. At any rate, it was the Old Republic's grand demonstration of how effective a slave-rigged ship could be. So, there's our titular line. <laughs> the fleet is called the Dark Force, because it was painted gray, or some folks say it's because they had fewer lights inside the spaceships, so it was dark. I, Ronnie, I about threw my computer monitor across the room when I read this on my ebook. <laughs> this is just astonishing. Not to get political here, but. Remember when President Tiny Hands created the Space Force and everyone went, wow, Space Force, that's a really stupid name. Yes, I do. That was what I thought of when I read this uh, this Dark Force. The Dark Force. Claptrap. Now, Ronnie, if you'll permit me, um, I know we don't have access to author notes anymore, but I thought I could channel the spirit of TZ's author notes to write an auth- what would have been the author note for this portion because I'm going, this is how I'm going to express what I think happened here. Um, so just imagine this is a TZ author note. Much like with Heir to the Empire, my editors at Bantam Spectra poo-pooed every one of my ideas for a title, suggesting instead Dark Force Rising to make it sound more Star Warsy. I wanted to call it Space Chasers. Still smarting from letting Wild Card go to waste for the first novel, I was determined to make this title a delicious pun. Thus the origin of the Dark Force fleet, which will rise later in the novel. Not to mention Kabeos Dark Force Jedi powers. TZ. I just want to let the listeners know that what you just heard was a 39-year-old man uh, writing and acting out a 
fan fiction of Timothy Zahn author notes. <laughs> yes, yes, that is, that is exactly what you heard, but that is the only way I could fully express my thoughts on what we have just read. Um, this is by far one of the stupidest reaches we've yet seen in these novels, and that's saying something. Uh, I was just blown away by that. It's just really amazing. Uh, but anyway, Card goes on to explain that the entire fleet... I mean, the act- title could be metaphorical, or it could be something that doesn't have anything to do with the actual uh, content of the book. I mean, you don't well, have yeah. to literally have something called Dark Force in there. Well, and it's echoing Empire Strikes Back, right? It's it's the second in the trilogy. That's the... the it, when you're talking about like kind of the story beats, that's the one where the heroes are are down bad. And the and the bad guys seem like they're on the upper foot, right? It's like Empire Strikes Back, Dark Force Rising. That's all. That's all it needed to be. It didn't need to be. Yeah, it's a dumb title, but it didn't need to be anything else. This working in that the <laughs> the, the 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 MacGuffin fleet of heavy cruisers is called the Dark Force because of the paint job uh, or the lack of lighting, the 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 OSHA standards, <laughs> you know, not being met. Astonishing. Just amazing. I. It would be like if in Return of the Jedi, it turned out that Han actually had an old ship that they nicknamed the Jedi, and that's what it was actually <laughs> it referring back. to, as opposed to, you know, because I mean, with Dark Force Rising, it, Dark Force Rising is a pretty simple title because it's just the rising of the Force, the dark version of the Force, which right. is what we're going with because we don't come up with... Sith yet, or we're not allowed to use Sith yet. Exactly. So it's just like the dark version of the Force, and it's rising. You don't, you don't literally need something called Dark Force in there. It's it's really amazing. I love the Dark Force. I'm very excited to meet the Dark Force later. Um, <laughs> so so Card kind of goes on to explain that, that the little story that Mara heard that they all like the 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 AI the AI went. Kaka cuckoo and and uh, and jump them is not quite right because what really happened is that the entire fleet fell victim to a hive virus um, of the sort which I thought was interesting of the sort that they now have like antiviral medications for these days like a, a couple decades later I guess the pre Clone Wars days um, they they have ivermectin for it now so you know they they have the horse paste. So this doesn't happen to anybody anymore. But apparently everyone on that entire fleet, on all these 200 distinct spaceships, caught the hive virus. Um, They all died. But one of the side effects of this virus is that it makes you go crazy before it kills you. And so the commander on the lead ship went, went crazy and jumped the entire fleet into hyperspace at random. And because they're all, you know, slaved together, that the entire fleet was lost in one go. Uh, lost into interstellar space, never to be seen again. Until Talon Card, because he has a little story that as a, as a young man working on a smuggling run, kind of back when he was just starting out, the ship he was on was, was you know, running away from some, uh, some galactic heavies, and they, you know, did a, did a random hyperspace jump to escape, and coincidentally ran into a couple of uh, giant dreadnoughts. And they assumed, of course, that this must be part of the fleet that's chasing them. So they did an, an emergency jump right after that. Uh, but Card later pieced it together. You know, he's, he's the young kid on the ship. He pieced it together that 
no, no, this must have been the Dark Force uh, that they happened upon. So he went back and memorized the coordinates of their position at that point in in the log and then erased the log. So he's the only person in the galaxy who knows where to find the Dark Force. Uh, so at that, Mara suggests that they just, oh, well, let's just sell them to the Empire. Uh, let's just make a bunch of money and get the Empire off our backs. Because um, she's still of the opinion that, you know, she's no fan of the Empire under Thrawn, but it's the lesser of two evils compared to the New Republic, as far as she's concerned. Um, but, you know, Card is Jade like... has such weird royal loyalties. Her politics are all over the place. I have no... I have no idea what's as she's. She, I guess she's loyal to Card. She has that, but yeah, I agree. It's very, it's very strange. Um, but uh, you know, Card says, "Nah, we're gonna play a little cagier than that. I'm gonna keep this in my pocket until we're really backed up against the wall." Because uh, he basically sees it as like, "Well, we could give it all up to Thrawn, but he'll still want to kill us anyway." So you know, I don't know about that. Uh, so Card to kind of, I guess, keep Mara busy as they're still setting everything up. He sends her on an errand to get some camouflage netting to set up their little, uh, their little fort there in town. And, uh, where their, 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 their warehouse with all their supplies is just a few blocks through town to get there. So she starts walking and on the way she spots a, a blue scarfed figure, rather obviously watching her. And of course her with her, uh, her, you know, wet work training and whatnot knows what's going on here. That, uh, this is, you know, perhaps someone who wants, her to notice that she's being observed and then follow her. So she plays a little well, bit. Not of even, being... not even her, her wet work training. It's like they bring up a bunch of times in this chapter that she has like forced sensitivity or yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like card brings up her like hunches and, and uh, there's this whole thing about how like previous employers, uh, let me, let me just find it uh, real yeah, sure. quick. Uh, um, yeah, uh, previous employers had reacted to her strange hunches with fear or anger or simple bald-faced hatred. Card, apparently, was going to go for ploy- ex- exploitation. And she goes, I can't turn it off, on and off like a sensor pack, she growled over her shoulder. Not anymore. Ah, Card said. The word implied he understood. The tone indicated otherwise. Interesting, is this a remnant of some previous Jedi training? And then she, like, tells him to drop the subject, really. And yeah. I, I thought that was interesting. Um, because basically it, it establishes that she, for lack of a better term, she has a spider sense. Right, right, right. Yeah, and it mentioned something also in the, I think it was in this chapter, that it was something like she had a lot more control over these powers when the Emperor was still alive, and when he was killed is when they went away. Like, her, her force powers kind of went away when he died. Um, yeah, but they're, you know, that's, that's, but they're coming that's back. interesting. Yeah, I, I thought so. Like it's, but they're kind of coming back. They're they're percolating back up. We I gotta guess, as... we gotta give Zahn credit when he deserves credit. <laughs> that's the that's our we guiding to, philosophy. We have to give him the carrot, and when he creates the dark force, we have to give him the stick. <laughs> yeah, but I think you're right. I think that does play up. It's 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 a little more interesting aspect of Mara's abilities and her talent, uh, for for lack of a better word. Um, but yeah, her spidey sense, basically. Uh, and and not only spidey sense, because later as she's, uh, she just like, she's following this guy 
she determines that he seems to be leading her to an abandoned industrial area of town, so she decides, I'm going to cut him off at the pass and get there first so I can ambush him. Uh, So she does that. She cuts through a part of town and spots the figure crouched behind some barrels, uh, kind of pointed at where she would have been approaching if she had, you know, done the stupid thing and and walked straight up to it. Uh, But that's when she hears a voice from behind telling her to stick him up because this was all an elaborate ambush, encounter ambush. Um, uh, and so there's a, uh, a bounty hunter uh, guy. A man fa- the man facing her was of medium height with somewhat bulky build and dark, brooding eyes. His undertunic hung open to reveal a light armor vest beneath it. And in his hand, he has a blaster, so he's, you know, he's, he's sticking her up. Uh, she, of course, has a blaster concealed in her boot, but, of course, if she's going to make a move for it, he would just kill her on the spot. So she needs a distraction if she's going to get to it. So she stalls for time for a while. Um, and I think Zahn also stalls for time <laughs> because there's a few pages of the stalling for time. Um, but then she notices, you know, she's looking around for something basically to throw or, or kick, but not seeing anything. But there's a little pile of rubbish behind him. And she reaches out with her force powers, her feeble force powers, to try to rustle some of that junk. And she does it. And so the guy turns around thinking, oh, well, there's someone coming and starts blasting. That gives her enough time to reach down, grab her own blaster and plug the guy. And so then she rifles through his things and finds an ID card that says Dengar Roth. Now, Ronnie, where do we know Dengar from? He's one of the bounty hunters from Empire Strikes Back, right? That's right. Dengar apparently met his end <laughs> with Mara Jade. Uh, in the abandoned industrial sector in a swamp town on Rishi, uh, so so there we go. We're we're, we're knocking knocking them off. Uh, Mara heads for home. I know we're not supposed Let's... to use outdoor re, uh, outside research, but I just want to note that Dengar is a Corellian. He's also known as Dengar the Demolisher. <laughs> That's that is absolutely one he came up with himself and asked people to call him that. There's no way. There's no way you get that uh, that nickname organically but uh but anyway before we move on Den- from before we move on from dengar oh please yeah. um i just want to note to the to the to the listeners that uh uh zahn does a bit of a, a character voice for this one for this guy because he's always yeah. dropping like uh consonants and and at the end of words like instead of twice of nothing it's twice oh nothing now i'm I'm just asking you, Daniel, what accent do you think this is supposed uh-huh. to be? I, uh, I mean, huh, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm reading it. I'm reading the. Uh, I mean, maybe it's supposed to be like an Irish thing or something. Because he, he, well, okay, he drops well, off. It's weird. The, so it's do, there's sort of do the voice. <laughs> do do the on vo- my pad. Do the uh, line, Bart. On my pad, half a sure things. I'm doing the line. Here we go. On my pad, half a sure things better than twice or nothing. Anyway, I don't expect you can outbid the Empire. Uh, let's see. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, what's to tell? I needed a decoy. He was wandering around the wrong place at the wrong time. End of story. Enough stalling. Turn around and start walking. Unless you're looking to spite me by making me settle for the death fee instead. How about that? Works for me. That's pretty good. I, 
Irish Dengar, everybody. Irish Dengar, our most popular bit on on Thronderdome. So now that we've got that out of the way, uh, yeah, it's another. It's a bit like the, it's a bit like Chin's stuff where he's just kind of randomly chopping off parts of words, and we're supposed to get anything out of that. It's really stupid. Um, Mara heads back to the their little fort and gives them the the bad news that their cover is already blown. Uh, we murdered the guy, but of course now we know that someone knows that we're here. So it's time to get all packed up and and, and much like the littlest hobo, they just got to keep moving on. That's a little that's a little reference for our Canadian listeners. On, on to chapter, chapter six, six. and. Um, Here's another one that had me. All right, we'll 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 talk about this. <laughs> so we're on chapter six. We're back with Thrawn on the bridge of the Chimera. You know, I, I like imagining like a little bit of like uh, kind of, you know, like a little bit of a music sting every time we cut back to the bridge of the Chimera, like they do on sitcoms when they cut back to like the living room in the apartment. You know, like and we're back on the Chimera. I was thinking more like the music sting that they have from the from the Technodrome in the Ninja What's Turtles that one? cartoon. Oh, it's like just like a bit like a guitar chord. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember it now. <laughs> that is a pretty good one. Um, but we're back. Uh, the Chimera is harassing a freight convoy uh, right now. They're they're giving it the giving it the business, uh, and there's an unassuming bulk cruiser that's capitalized. Um, that suddenly erupts with A-Wings flying out of it. A-Wing fighters to defend the convoy. And then Thrawn says, uh, interesting tactic, if not especially innovative. The idea of converting bulk cruisers to starfighter carriers was first proposed over 20 years ago. And I had to go back and check, because is this not the same trick he pulled just in the last book? Is that not the exact same move that they did with the cloaking device? Yes! Like, it's, <laughs> I, I went back and I looked it up, and the, 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 the ship that led the Sluis Vaughn raid that had all the TIE fighters come boiling out of it was referred to as a bulk freighter, not a bulk cruiser. So maybe, maybe that's the difference. <laughs> no one's ever tried it with a bulk cruiser before, only a bulk freighter a week ago. So it's an interesting tactic. Ah. Uh, well, this sequence also has a usage of hit and fade. It does, yeah, because that's okay. The A the A wings are better for hit and fade operations, not escort duty. So, uh, and Thrawn kind of you know, perhaps we're seeing the result of Admiral Akbar's removal as Supreme Commander. So, I guess maybe Akbar wouldn't have been so stupid as to deploy A wings to this purpose. Uh, so that gets them talking about Admiral Akbar and all of the political turmoil going on in the New Republic. Uh, and get this, Ronnie. It was the Imperial Intelligence Service that planted all that evidence and transferred all that money. It was the Imperials the whole time. Failure didn't you know, have anything like, to uh, do with it. Like an, you know, like uh, Stormy Daniels. <laughs> to, to get a little, a little contemporary politics for everybody. Uh, with the what with the the mango Mussolini. Yeah, I mean, last episode we did establish that Admiral Akbar is Trump. <laughs> we did. Um, anyway, so um, 
Thrawn and Palian kind of muse for a little while over whether Akbar's kind of people are still largely in charge. Um, doop doop doop. It turns out Phalia isn't working directly for the Imperials after all. They just kind of identified him as like, oh, he's going to be a useful moron. Like he's a grasping opportunist. All we have to do is just set up golden opportunities for him, and he will just take the bait every time. So here we have confirmation that Phalia, you know, he might be crappy, but he's not directly an Imperial agent. Um, uh, yeah, kind of like the Democrats in Al Qaeda. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, See, you don't know what our politics are on uh, on Thronderdome. That's that's right. Uh, we we keep it we keep it cagey. You have no idea where which angle we're punching from around here. Hey, I, t- I tell you what, you know, I, we 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 are equal opportunity offenders on Thronderdome. We don't care whose toes we step on. Uh, 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 Thron does bring up the fact that he spent many hours studying both and art, so he understands the species <laughs> quite well. I do, I do love him, like. He's, he spent many hours studying Bothan art to know when is the right time to plant evidence on a Mon Cal guy to get the Bothan to do what he wants. I, he's a genius. I mean, I'll give him that. He's he's a genius. Um, But not quite the genius he maybe thinks he is. And I thought this was kind of a fun touch on Zahn's part. And that Thrawn starts gaming out what the lunchbox guys are going to be up to. And... Thrawn gets it wrong because he rather mistakenly assumes that Han must be on his way to the banking planet Palanhi, where the big transfer came from. Because, like, clearly, I mean, obviously, if you're investigating it, that would be where you would start, right? So he has sent a Star Destroyer, the Death's Head, to go ahead and be there in Palanhi system when uh, when when Han Solo arrives. Um, so, uh, so there's, you know, Thrawn is kind of... He's on his wrong footing there. He didn't. He didn't actually read the situation properly. Uh, now he does read properly. That's going to be solo by himself. That uh, Leia and Chewie are going to. He, again, he gets it wrong. He thinks Leia and Chewie are still going to be trying to find a place to hide from the Nogri, because um, of course he doesn't know anything about the uh, the Darth Vader's daughter uh, summit coming up. But I thought that was fun. That it still has like Thrawn doing his typical like ah, but you see he must do X Y Z, and getting it wrong. Um, so, you know, he's, he's not, he's not perfect. He's very handsome as we learned with our episode with Megan looking at some of that fan art, but, uh, but he's not, he's not infallible. Now what does come up it is around this what time, I, what is, it is around some... this time that it is around this time that, uh, they bring up Delta source. Yes. Which is the deep that's throat what I was gonna of say, Star Wars. I, the deep throat. Um, He's, you know, Thrawn's like, our esteemed Jedi Master is, uh, our esteemed Jedi Master, you know, Kabeoth apparently called it correctly. Skywalker has decided to pay a visit to Joe Mark. And it's the, the information wasn't from intelligence, Thrawn said. It came from Delta Source, which is apparently so secret. It was activated personally by Grand Admiral Thrawn. It's so secret that Plan doesn't know even if it's like human intelligence or like a wiretap. Uh, you know, he has no idea. Uh, just that Thrawn keeps getting information from Delta Source. Now, let's think back, Ronnie. Who who was Luke talking to about how he planned to go to Joe Mark? Hmm? Uh, Wedge? <laughs> it starts with a W. He was talking to Winter. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I, I, I knew there was. I knew there was something off about her. That's my guess, anyway. Like I, I think, like I've said before, like in our discussion in the last, ep- the last of the last book, our last season, season one, um, where I was kind of, I did not remember very clearly what Winter's role was in any of the story. So I genuinely don't know. I genuinely don't know if it turns out that Winter is the uh, the uh, the secret agent in all this. But I think I, I, I do like the I, 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 I do be... like the line where where they say Delta uh, Intelligence hadn't even been able to figure out whether Delta Source was a person, a droid, or some exotic recording system that was somehow able to elude the rebellion's hourly counterintelligence sweeps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're spending a lot of time and money on counterintelligence sweeps. I just love the idea of of Delta Source turning out to be a recording system. <laughs> that it's literally like it's it's a Fisher Price tape recorder taped under Leia's desk. <laughs> it's t- like that talk fucking boy, talk boy perhaps. from uh, Home Alone. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but after that uh, little knowledge drop, uh, Peleon brings up something that's chap in his hide about Cabeos' last stint. Supporting an offensive, there was the uh, the battle at Tanab, and apparently during that battle, the crazy old dark Jedi disobeyed direct orders from Imperial officers. And Playon's not happy about that. He's he's sort of gaming out like, okay, so we have this crazy old Jedi wizard. He seems like kind of a loose cannon. You know how how do we know? Basically, how do we know he's not going to turn around, and stab us in the back, and do something to us? Uh, Thrawn, you know, way, hand waves all that away. Uh, he's like, nah, 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 you don't have to worry about, you don't have to worry about that. Um, and then in a little bit of ableism, I think, since we have established that Jorus Kabeoff is undergoing some sort of degenerative, uh, neurological disease, um, he says, concentration, focus, and long-term thinking. Those are the qualities that separate a warrior from a mere flailing fighter, and they're qualities Kabeoff will never possess. So he's confident that no matter how so Sabath has ADHD. Yes, Kabeoth. <laughs> uh, he starts. Has, he just uh, starts. He just starts posting all those memes about how school was hard for him. Yes, yes. I, I, you know what I bet? I bet he was also a former gifted kid. You know, it's starting to sound like actually Kabeoth has all the same neuroses and neurological problems that I do. So that's kind of fun to think about. It's uh, like Zahn is writing from your life. <laughs> it's like I'm seeing myself splattered on the page, uh, warts and all, just spilling my guts right on there. And yet it was Timothy Zahn who did it 30 years ago. An incredible artist, a visionary. This is this is why we read him. This is why we read Timothy Zahn. Um, but anyway, uh, the... So... Having kind of brushed away Playon's concerns, uh, he he does share in Playon's irritation at how he's so demanding about Leia. So Thrawn gives Playon the order to take the Chimera to the Nogri home planet in the Honogur system because he's going to, he's not just going to upbraid the Commando squads. No, 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 no. He's going to address the entire Nogri people about their failure and how they need to straighten up and get it together and kidnap a pregnant lady. Um, they catch each other up on Talon Card, uh, that their bounty hunter had followed his lead to Rishi but was not killed. Thrawn is convinced that Card is the kind of knowledge broker who will know where any capital ships worth acquiring are likely to be, 
So not only is he intent on chasing him down for revenge, he's intent on chasing him down for that knowledge. Now, he doesn't know anything about the Dark Force rising. Um, and that Card knows about the Dark Force rising. But he does know that Card is the kind of guy who knows where to steal a spaceship. So he's still going to chase him down. Um, but to round out Chapter 6, uh, we return now to the... We get more of the incredibly 20... sad story of George Kabeoff. <laughs> As I wrote here in my notes, we return now to the poignant portrait of a man struggling with mental decline. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so Kabeoth, uh is he's he's been slumbering, but he's awakened suddenly from some bad dreams. He just kind of lays there for a moment in the darkness. Um, he senses someone approaching his castle, right? He built that, or rather he, he moved into the, uh, the big temple castle thingy on the mountain in the middle of a volcanic crater lake. Um, and he assumes this is a messenger from the Jomark populace coming to pester him with some trifling news or some, you know, mewling, sniveling request. Um, and he's reflecting on how the, like he was called master by the people of Wayland's and he, he loved that. He loved it when they called him master and, you know, the people of Wayland meant it. The people here on Jomark weren't quite sure whether they meant it or not. The Imperials didn't mean it at all. So that's what's really driving him up the wall, is that they'll refer to him as Master. And he's remembering back to the Battle of Tanab. Apparently what he had, the mutiny he had performed was that he had, uh, in a fury at a rebel ship that had dared to fire at his own, he had used his force powers to turn the ship toward that ship and start blasting it. Even while the captain on the star destroyer, the bellicose had been shouting and blaspheming at him, even while calling him master. So that's the mutiny that, that had Peleon all worried. And there you have the kind of, I don't know, insecurity at work in Kabeoth. He, he needs to be known as the master. He knows when you're saying it and you don't mean it. And it's making him upset. <laughs> so, I like that he literally um, has a medieval castle. He does have a medieval castle. It's the the high castle. Yeah. Um, there was... Uh, Do you think he has a moat? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, yeah, he has that crater lake. So it's it's on a... It's, so the castle was built on a, a, a mountain island in the middle of a, a lake formed of the crater of an extinct volcano. So, yeah, I mean, he has that lake all around his island. Where the castle is. I think that counts as a moat. I hope he has another moat. I like they, moat. like they just give up and, and introduce fantasy crap into the Star Wars. It is a lot of fun. Like, yeah, let's, uh, let's have I, I uh, do, King I Arthur, too. That. <laughs> uh, so, and there was, there was one, we're, we're, we're getting to the end of the chapter, and, but there was one thing that I thought was really funny. Um, the messenger below was approaching the high castle gate now. Reaching out with the force to call his robe to him, Kabeoth got out of bed. <laughs> and I just really love the idea of, like, you know, Jedi's, like, just kind of, you know, fucking around, farting around the house. You know, he, he uses uses the force to call his bathrobe to him. <laughs> it just struck me as very funny. Because that's exactly what I would do if I had force powers. You know, I, I, I would not get up. I would be, I would be, you know, I, I'd be force, uh, force floating that beer over to me rather than walk over to the refrigerator. I'll tell you that much. Uh, 
but yeah, so he, he gets up, tightens the rope sash around him, uh, and gets ready to greet whatever messenger has just come to his gate. So we'll see what his new subjects you know, wished to tell. You know, him. now that I think about it, and, uh, now that <laughs> I think about it, like, given your uh, health over the last year, uh, you developing sudden onset dementia <laughs> would be very on brand. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how much we want to reveal to the audience about my health conditions. I did have a very funny month where uh, I was I, – I, I had, like, strep and COVID at the same time, and then a week later I was diagnosed with gout. <laughs> so Ronnie has been having a lot of fun at my expense with all that. Uh, but the gout's cleared up. I can walk around like a normal boy now. I'm just fine. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was pretty funny. So yeah, sudden on, you know, in addition to my ADHD diagnosis, um, you know, uh, the, uh, the, every, everything else that I have in common with George Kabeoff, I could also get sudden onset dementia, you know, who, who can say, who knows, but until such time, my mind is as sharp and powerful as it has ever been. And good thing too. Because as uh, regular listeners know, Thronderdome is not just a Star Wars novel recap podcast. And now having concluded our recap of Chapter 6, it's time to move on to the next segment of the show where I, Dr. Daniel Dottie, pits his ADHD-addled yet still agile and, and, and uh, uh, subtle mind against that of Ronnie Gardaki head-to-head in mental combat in the debate... The debate arena we call the Thronderdome. So, Ronnie, uh, as is tradition, uh, it's up to you to announce to the audience what the terms of our debate are. What What are we going to the mat about today? What are we going to struggle against one another, mind to mind, men, you know, uh, mental, no holds barred, Greco Roman grappling today? We're uh, talking birds. We're talking. Uh, flightless birds versus, uh, birds that can fly. Oh, so we're coming back to feathered dinosaurs. Cool. I love that topic. Yes, we're coming back to feathered dinosaurs. (laughs) But, okay, but yeah, this is, this is, okay, so this is good. Um, all right, so, so, okay, so flightless birds versus feathered birds, or flying birds, uh, I, I... I'll, I'll take flying birds. I'll go ahead and stake my claim there, but I'm not quite sure what exactly we're we're arguing. Are, are we saying like which ones are cooler, which ones deserve to rule the others? What what are we arguing? Which one's better? Just <laughs> just straight up, just generally better. Okay. Well, I tell you what. Um, hmm. All right, Ronnie. Uh, how about uh, I, I get? I think also in keeping with tradition, we we usually have you go first. So if you're taking the the pro flightless bird side, uh, let's let's hear what you got. Let's let's see what you what you can lay on the table. Okay, I have a few points that I'd like to make, and my first point is that ostriches and emus are huge and exotic and can kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, penguins are are incredibly cute. They don't know how to fly, so they know how to swim instead. Uh-huh. And they wear, and it looks like they wear little tuxedos, so they're already better dressed than you. They're very classy. 
Yeah. And uh, flightlessness actually uh, gives them more in common with the dinosaurs because dinosaurs could not fly. That's, hey, that's a good point. Like, if you're going to talk about uh, kind of like what, you know, what's the closest thing we have to a dinosaur today? uh, Yeah, I would say an ostrich uh, gets you there. Uh, Not just because it's flightless, but also the ostriches are a a very early diverging branch of our modern birds. So they're kind of more what we call basal in the paleontology game, but what you might call more primitive, quote-unquote. Even though they're just as evolved as anyone else, uh, they do have traits that are a little closer to a more uh, an older kind of condition. Those are all really good points. I'm going to counter them by saying, birds can fly. Look up, Look up there. Look at, oh! A little sparrow. A little sparrow just flew by. Can you imagine it? The freedom. The wind singing in your ears. Go, you know, you feel it across your feathers. You're, you're, you're a, a red-tailed hawk swooping on a thermal, uh, casting your, your incredible eye down to the ground to find a nice bunny to snap up and chow down on. And you're flying while you do it. You're flying. You're up in the air. Look at the geese. I mean, you know, think of a goose. Uh, uh, totally, uh, one of the most one of the most uh, undignified animals you could possibly think of. They're just little waddling around. They honk. They poop everywhere. Just a real joke of a bird. But then they fly, and you look up and you see them flying, and they're just beautiful, coasting through the air in a little V formation, like so many uh, bombers. <laughs> I guess I don't know what else flies in formations. I guess the Blue Angels, although they fly, you know fighter bombers anyway um yeah so flightless birds versus flighted birds i mean if you think of a bird all right how about this if you think of a bird you just get someone on you know off the street like hey well what are birds like what's a bird do they'll tell you oh it's a little animal uh, and it flies you know that's standard bird that's classic bird it may be classic bird but it's also boring bird oh right right i mean it's 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 classic because it's, you know, it's what you usually see, but that also does. Yeah, it's not quite as unique. Well, I got I got a question for you. Would you would you classify chickens as flightless birds or are they flighted birds? They're borderline. Because I, like I, I, I don't know where they're borderline. <laughs> they're, chickens are the blade of <laughs> the bird world. Because <laughs> I was I, the, 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 the route I was going to go down, is I was going to try to argue from numbers. To say like, well, flighted birds, there are more, there are way more of them than there are flightless birds. But again, that leaves me open to the charge of like, yeah, the, the, so that makes them not special. Um, so I can't really go that route. And also, like, they're a borderline case. So you know, I don't really, you know, I don't think we have anything there. Um, all right, all right. All, all right. I'm saying is that we're, we're all I'm this. saying we're, is that uh, all I'm saying is that the the flightless birds are more. They have a uniqueness to them that uh flighted birds do not have because hmm. you got you got out of the box you got the ostrich great design awesome looking <laughs> got a got a huge got a huge neck and a, and a stupid little head and is really dumb and then you got penguins which are also great because they have little tuxedos and that is a people make look. documentaries yeah. about them Morgan Freeman makes documentaries about when, when, have you, when have you seen a documentary that's just titled, like, Birds? 
winged winged migration. That was a documentary about birds flying. <laughs> That's so, no March of the so Penguins. We do have that. I guess I guess it's not as fondly remembered as March of the Penguins. I will say I do love kiwis. Those little guys, those little fuzzballs are just they're the best. The little uh little New Zealander. They uh they you know they lay an egg and it's like half the size that they are. They're amazing little animals. They really they look like little Pokémon and not just the kiwi Pokémon. Um so I'm not going to say I don't have an appreciation for flightless birds, all right? They they are they are cool animals. Uh, there's a lot to be said, but let's get down to brass tacks. If you're looking at two birds, let's say you have in front of you, you have, uh, a kiwi and a great horned owl, you know, who, 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 who's your, who's your guy with those two, you know, you gotta go the owl, right? Well, see, therein lies the rub. I mean, are you going to go with the, the popular jock type bird or are you gonna go with the underdog <laughs> the underdog i mean think about it little, yeah a, peng- a penguin can't even fly which is what the thing birds are supposed to do can't even do that so what does it do it learns to swim there's a powerful message in there for all of us i, I guess right there and we can play this game too like you know you put them side by side a penguin or a seagull who's your guy clearly the penguin in that matchup um so perhaps this issue is a little more nuanced than uh, than we think. And I think in classic form, we're going to have to leave it up to the listeners. I mean, more than anything, these Thronderdome debate segments are all about you, the listener. This is about providing you all with maybe perspectives you hadn't considered before. And maybe put it in your mind, you know, where, would you, where would you draw the line? Where would, you, where would you land if you had to decide between putting a bullet in a kiwi's skull or a bullet in a bald eagle's skull? Which, which one would you let live? And I think we can leave for, it up to the listeners. For, for, perhaps in later episodes, we will do individual bird versus bird debates. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to turn this into a Star Wars and Feathered Dinosaurs uh, podcast. <laughs> Thronderbird. Maybe, maybe so. We'll have Thronderbird. We'll have more bird versus bird matchups. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, as always, we, we do hope this has been an intellectually satisfying and stimulating journey for us all. I know it has for me. Um, as always, reading the prose of Timothy Zahn just really gets my, my brain juices flowing in a way that really no other writer can. Um, so uh, with that, we'll, we'll bid you adieu. And uh, until next time, where we pick up with chapters uh, 7, 8, and 9 of Dark Force Rising, the novel about the Dark Force. And until then, uh, stay well. Goodbye. And... That was a good one.